Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Genesis and to Sam's granddaughter picture fest. No, we're just going to show one later. Uh, let's pause. Let's pray. It's good to be here together and have this time. Father, once again, we are grateful for life, for the life we have, for the blessings we Enjoy for our family and our friends, for our jobs and our homes where we live and the meals that we eat and all the things that happen daily that are easy to take for granted. Lord, knowing there are so many people without these things, we again count ourselves blessed and responsible. May our time here this morning Help us connect not only to you, but to one another. And may we grow into the image of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning again. Let's take care of some business first. Uh, We are here because of you and because of your contributions to Genesis. And so we... uh, Thank you for that and want to remind you that we are able to keep the lights on because of your donations and you can give on the various methods there and find those at thegenesisstory.com. Uh, next, importantly, this evening, 6 p.m., we are having a potluck at my house. And so, yes, yes, I hope you all can make it. If you don't know where I live, Uh, text me and I'll send you my address or ask me here and I'll give it to you. Or if you're out there watching, go to the website and it has a special uh, thing for the potluck if you put that information there. Or even email us, Randy. Do you get the Genesis emails? Okay, so someone get those. Um, Then uh, any of those. Okay, he's going to send that address out today. Today at 6 p.m., uh, potluck and it has there too if you can give what it is you're going to bring you can also see some of the things I haven't looked at it recently but even if you can't bring anything um, just come bring like a bag of chips um, that's what I used to always do when I was just a bachelor back in the day going to potluck here's some chips and uh, coke um, but we want to see you there and looking forward to that time together and so that's tonight at 6 I have to put a little disclaimer out I got a brisket at Costco, and last night when I was preparing it, it has this vein of fat that is sandwiched in the middle, which is not how I usually do brisket. Uh, 
So I did the best I could, people. It's on the smoker right now. I put it on at 7 o'clock last night and uh, wrapped it in paper at 6.30 this morning, turned up the uh, smoker to 250 degrees, and um, seasoned it and all those things. So hopefully it'll do magic by the time we're ready to eat it. So anyway, that's there. Now the important news. Monday, September 26th at 2.50 p.m., my daughter gave birth to my granddaughter. Show the picture. This is Olivia Quinn Noboa. She was 7 pounds, 11 ounces, 18 inches long. It's funny, I can't remember many things, but I remember all this information, and the world will never be the same. She is no extra, or she is no ordinary child to keep it in the theme of Exodus. Um, and she is keeping her mom and dad up uh, late at night. Thank you, Rick, for showing that picture. I have a hundred more. If you guys want to see more, <laughs> hit me up. I got lots of pictures and some videos even of her crying. Um, we're just kind of keeping all those things going. It, it, it's funny, my daughter was telling me that the mom's body produces this certain chemical that the baby is able to sense. They were telling her this in the nursing. And so when she's producing this chemical, the baby starts to get hungry because she senses the chemical in the mom. But the mom produces this chemical from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning, which is like some kind of joke, right? It's like, who thought of that? Um, <laughs> anyway, that I thought that was interesting. Anyway, she is healthy. She's doing fine. Mom and dad are really tired, uh, of course. And again, their life will never be the same. We told them that, but now they get to experience it. And it's a beautiful thing. So again, thank you guys for all your prayers for them and your thoughts and well wishes. And again, ask me for pictures and I'll be glad to show them to you. We are continuing in the book of Exodus. We're in chapter three this morning. Rick, I'm a little loud in here. Can you bring it down? Just so it doesn't feel so... There we go. So I don't feel like I'm on a speaker. I just want to talk to my people here. Um, this has been a journey, and this journey is continuing. Remember, we kind of talked about how Moses came to be and the positioning him to this place. We talked about his name a little bit. We talked about a lot of different things. And as we move into now what he is going to be doing... I think we'll find some interesting things taking place. And so Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Remember, he is f had to flee for his life because he killed the Egyptian. He's in Midian, this land where the Israelites are going to go back to. And it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn 
Here we got a lot of things happening. A very famous story is unfolding. But a few things I want to point out first is the father-in-law, Jethro. We see his name, Jethro, here and again later in verse 18. But last chapter in verse 18, we met him as Ruel. And in chapter 4, 18, he's also called Jeter, which is kind of short for Jethro, so we'll give it some slack there just as an alternative spelling, but it's no big deal. Still, to top it off, he is later called Hobab in Numbers 10 and in Judges 4.11. How about just picking a name and sticking with it, right? But that's not the only name that we see changing here. We see here that he goes to Horeb, the mountain of God, but we also know this is Mount Sinai. And so we have different names for his father-in-law and for the mountain of God, which from now on, we're just going to call Mount Sinai to keep things simple. And we'll call him Jethro just because of the Beverly Hillbillies. And some of you won't even get that. But interesting that there are these different names. Not only the names are changing, the holy mountain where Moses is about to meet God is called something different. What's going on here? Why the differences? Is the writer just playing with us, just throwing names out there? Have you met people like that who have different names all of a sudden? You've known them their whole, yeah, my name is, you know, James. And then you see them two years later. Hey, James, how's it going? Oh, my name's not James anymore. It's whatever, right? It's like, don't do that to me. Don't be throwing a different name at me. I know you is this, and now I've got to think of you. And every time I say, I have a friend who I met and I knew him as Buddy. And then years later, as I got to know him again, he goes, yeah, I don't go by Buddy anymore because my real name's Eric. It's like, okay, I get that. Buddy's kind of a Buddy name now, Eric. All right. So when I did his wedding, I had to remember, don't call him Buddy. He's Eric, right? So Something's going on here anyway, that little side note. What I think is happening here and what scholars has usually referred to this is different versions as traditions. Because as the theory goes, they were created and nurtured and passed on by different communities. And so this community knew him as Jethro. This community knew it as the Mount Horeb. And those communities held on to these stories with these names. And as they developed, that's how the stories contained the names. And because the communities were far apart, right? They didn't have, you know, phones. They didn't have the means of communication as we do today. There wasn't this unified understanding of everything, they each had their flavor, right? It's just like I'm watching all these YouTube videos on how to make brisket, and they all have this different flavor. Oh, you should cook it this long at this temperature. You should cook it this long at this temperature. You should put the apple cider vinegar on this side. You should not do anything. You should put it in paper. You should put it in foil. All these ideas, and everyone has these understandings of how this story is unfolding. And whoever brought these traditions together getting maybe writings or stories from here and from there or from here, did not feel bothered that they were different, and neither should we. In fact, I think we do harm to the text 
by trying to make them consistent. You see, what they were doing, more important than being consistent, was that they were preserving the tradition. And they were able to hold on to two different traditions at the same time and not say, this one's right, this one's wrong. And the ability to hold on to different positions and give them both validity, I think, is important. And the reason it's important is because no one has all the information. And so when we try to gravitate to one, we might be losing something from the other. I think this is true for more than just what we're reading here in Exodus. I think this is true in life. I think this is true in politics. I think it's true concerning COVID, right? You hear things, but maybe information changes. Maybe the virus changes, and so now the information is new. And so don't discard this and just hold on to this. Maybe you have to hold them both together for right now and start to see where things fit. What would happen if we just stopped this dualistic thinking of right and wrong? This is what it means. We gotta make it mean this the whole way through. It's important that we have the ability to kind of hold these traditions and see them as valid, as important. And that's, I think, a beautiful thing that these writers didn't feel the need to, hey, let's just name him Jethro because that's the name I like. No, they called him this. They called him Ruel. Let's call him this. And they put these things out there. We also see here that Moses is a shepherd, Right? He goes out here to Midian, and now he's a shepherd. And this idea of shepherds is throughout the scripture, right? Because shepherds are now leading people like they did flocks. And a lot of times the rabbis thought that Moses' job training for leading the people was actually leading sheep. We see that in Psalm 77, already hints at this with Moses and with Aaron, how they led the people like a flock. David was also a shepherd before his king, you know, before he was king. And even Jesus is described as the good shepherd. And there's something about leading people that made the ancient Israelites think of shepherding sheep. Probably the fact that sheep are pretty dumb is worth noting, right? Is that they need someone to lead them. And so when Jesus calls us his sheep, it might not be a compliment, but we need to be led. And there needs to be people who are able to lead. And so Moses takes this title for not only what his livelihood is, but as he's going to be leading the people. Continuing in verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look at the burning bush, God called him from within the bush, Moses. Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And here we kickstart the whole Exodus story. Moses doesn't know it, but he is about to get his marching orders for the mission that has been on the agenda since the days of Abraham. And he is now going to be leading this. And we're at a big 
biblical moment here, right? This is the birth of something that is going to be foundational to a nation. The idea of holy ground is interesting. It's repeated and seen later in chapter 25, the holiness of Sinai and the tabernacle later, which is the major focus of Exodus, right? It is the tabernacle is like this portable Mount Sinai. The holiness of God is moving, moving, moving. And this is sacred, sacred, sacred. And I find the symbolism here just fascinating, right? In ancient world, the idea of God and fire was common, but now a consuming fire that doesn't consume is an interesting twist to it. And the idea of something being holy, and so you have to be aware, you have to be mindful of it to, to be understanding that something unique, which is kind of what the word holy means, is happening here. And so don't just come in here with no understanding that this is a sacred moment. You need to have some reverence for it. And the idea of take your shoes off is an interesting one to me because I've tried to study what that means. And it's basically, well, your shoes are traveling on ground and so the the bottom is dirty. And so you take them off so that you don't bring the dirt with you into a place. But you're still barefoot on the dirt going into this place. And I almost feel like there is this beautiful picture of, I don't want anything between you and the holiness that is here. So take off the shoes and be as close to it and as aware of it as you can. I want you to feel it on your skin. Have you ever been to a, an event or a place and all of a sudden there's a holiness about it? When I am asked to do memorial services and and I am brought into the family before the actual service begins and I'm there just with the family as they're there maybe with a casket with a loved one, there's something going on there that is holy. It's special. It's privileged to be in this situation with these people. I don't want to take it lightly. I don't just walk in. Hey, everyone, how's it going? How you doing today? Right? You you go in there and you feel the weight of the situation. You're, You're reading the expressions of people. You're identifying with what's there. And I think Moses is going into this place and he's having to identify with the special situation that's happening there. Felt it at the birth of my grandkids, my babies. Something special's happening here. It's changing who I am, who they are. And I find it's dangerous to approach holiness without awareness. It's dangerous for the situation. It's dangerous for you because you make something special less. And we don't want to do that. Right? And in our desire to, to want to live this faith life in a way that is, you know, comfortable or natural, sometimes we can lose the idea of holy and what it means or, or make it something 
that isn't really what it is. See, God isn't saying, stay away from me because I'm holy and you're not. God is saying, be aware of my holiness. Stand your ground and get close to it at the same time. And I think that's a beautiful picture. He continues in verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. I'm like, yeah, Lord, I'm all in on this. And then verse 10, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. If I'm Moses right now, it's like, you had me up until you. Right? I was all about, I'm the God who's going to do this. I heard this. I'm going to deliver. I'm like, yes, you go for it, God. And then it's like, you go to there. It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 28 where he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Now go and make disciples. It's like, wait, why don't you go? You got all the power and authority, right? Why, why am I having to do that? But we talked about this last time, how God saw and God knew. And the way God moves is through you. People are the resource of God's kingdom. They are the material of his building. And that's us. And I think there's something beautiful happening when we see the expression of God and the inclusion of people. And we see ourselves as a part of that. That God isn't just doing something and we get to sit back. We are participants in the work of God. That's how it's supposed to be. And so there's this, God is here God is holy, and we are here with the holy. And that should strike us. Because after this declaration by God, Moses tries five times to get out of it, which makes perfect sense to me. It really does. It's like, I, I'm with him on this. Just putting myself into his shoes I want you to go to this place that you fled because they were going to kill you. And these other people, they either think you're an Egyptian or a traitor, and they're not really for you either because they were telling you they're going to, you know, who are you to lead us? You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? I'm with Moses. It's like I, I didn't have a good experience back there 40 years ago. I, I'm not really seeing what, what's going on here. And so... Verse 11, Moses brings his questions to God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and, and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Okay, let's face it. That's not really a sign. 
okay? That's kind of like after the fact. It's like, I kind of need something before the fact, right? Don't tell me, oh, here's the sign. You'll be back here with the people. It's like, no, that doesn't sound like a sign to me. That sounds like a statement. I'm supposed to come back here after all this. In verse 13, Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? I need a name. How am I going to present you to them? And so here we get into some very theological things that I hope you'll find interesting. First, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Again, this is not an answer. This isn't a name. This is like, hey, I am who I am. Tell them that. I don't think you're, you're catching my drift here. That, that's not the name. But there's something going on here that's underneath. There, there is an understanding that, you know what? You might not know who I am, but I'm well known. It, it's like meeting a celebrity who everyone knows, but you don't know. And you go up to them and you ask them, what's your name? You know, and say it's like Paul McCartney or something like that. You know, and it's like, you know, you've lived on an island somewhere and, and don't know who Paul McCartney is or are under 20 years of age, maybe, or 30, who knows. It's like everyone knows who I am. And instead of, you know, him being upset, maybe Paul, because he's apparently a nice guy, you know, gives some comment back, well, I'm just another guy. I just am who I am, but everyone knows who he is. And that's kind of what's happening here. God God is just saying, hey, I am. This is my name. Tell him I am. But Moses, verse 14 says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is who you are to say to me. Verse 15, and God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now that's a different answer. God's name is the Lord, the God of old, the God of the fathers. Lord might not sound like much of a name because it isn't, although it really is, and I'll try and explain it. When you see the word Lord with a capital L and a lowercase capitalized O-R-D, it is the conventional way of representing God's name in Scripture. The actual name is made up of four Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H, and it's conventionally spelled Yahweh. The Hebrews did not put vowels in the name because they didn't want the name to be common, and so they wanted to show it respect by not giving it the vowels. And so what they did is they took the vowels of a totally different word, the word Lord or Adonai, and they placed them in those consonants, and we have the word Yahweh. And it's their way of trying to make the name special, 
and yet understandable. That way, whenever someone came across God's name, they would see Y-H-W-H, but they would say, Lord, that's the English translations of the Bible word for the capital lowercase O-R-D. And it was spelled that way so you would know that it wasn't just a Lord like a human, you know, over a city or something like that. It's how God presented himself and how they respected this name and how we understand it being written here. And again, there's just some beauty in this as well as some mystery. It's the way of preserving the holy is by keeping it mysterious, by not allowing it to become common. Oh, here's how you spell God's name. It's like we never actually knew how to spell God's name. Why? Because God is not something that can be named. God is by the thing by which all things are named. And, and so having the ability to not grasp hold of it gives us the ability to actually grasp hold of it. Does that make sense? Because it's too big to label, but then when we don't label it, we start to grasp it, the, the vastness of it. And so I think it's a, a beautiful picture that's taking place. God continues to tell Moses, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us make, take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. What's interesting is we don't hear much about the elders after this, but he's supposed to be taking this to the elders of Israel. I mean, we'll see it again later on in the next chapter, but the whole elders before the Pharaoh, we don't see that. We just see Moses and Aaron, and later we just see Moses. And then what's with this three days? We're gonna go three days and sacrifice, which means worship, and then we'll be, is this like, give us the weekend off, and then we'll come back and go to work, right? Because that's kind of how it sounds like. And again, I think there's some symbolism going here going on here where I think he's just saying, we're gonna go three days and that's a pretty long journey and we're just gonna keep going. We're out of here. But the way it's worded is a little bit different. English translations also don't pick up on on some of the, the puns that take place in verse 19 and 20 where he says, God will stretch out and Pharaoh will let go. Stretch out and let go are both the same word in Hebrew. It's shalak. God will need to shalak Pharaoh in order to get him to shalak the Israels. God will extend Moses, or Pharaoh will extend. And it's this little play on words. It's kind of, again, a beautiful picture. I'm going to extend my hand and he will extend his hand. I'm gonna do it in this way. He's going to do it in that way. Not only that, in verse 22, or 21, it says, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Pick up this. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. We are gonna leave as if we won a battle. And for some reason, it's the women who are going to have to ask the neighbors, just like 
they ask for directions, right? Because the husband will not ask for directions. I know where I'm going. But they're going to leave victorious. That's the whole idea here. You're going to plunder them as if you went to battle because God is going before you. They're going to leave as victors, taking the spoil. And Moses is still having trouble here. In chapter four, verse one, Moses answered, what if, I love this, okay, that sounds all good, but what if, here's another scenario maybe you didn't think about, God, what if they don't believe me or listen to me that the Lord appeared to you? Now, the they that he's talking about isn't the Egyptians, it's the elders, What if the elders don't listen to me? And the people of Israel, as we know through this story, are a major pain in Moses' side. What were you thinking? And isn't it funny how sometimes, I don't know, funny, but you have more problems with your own family than with people outside. Have more problems with the Christians than with those who aren't. I've had more hurt, if I could say the word, come from people who are Christians than from people who aren't, in my experience. And it's interesting how that takes place. Yesterday I was at a party for Diana Herrera, Gabe's mom, many of you know them. Um, and it was a birthday party, and it was an 80s-themed birthday party, so I had, like, a wig on, and my wife looked like a brunette Madonna, and it was just a lot of fun. I had a band there playing a bunch of 80s music, and I was sitting at a table with some people, and I was talking to the person, and this guy was talking to me about, you know, he was, his daughter started going to another church, and so he had to go to make sure they weren't teaching, quote, false doctrine. And I was just like, oh. And immediately my conversation is like, well, don't tell him you're a pastor. Don't bring up doctrine in this conversation. I mean, part of me wants to, right? Part of me just wants to go there just because that's me. You know, it's like, did you know the Bible says that David didn't kill Goliath? You know, I just want to throw those things out there to to just cause havoc. But there's the fear of causing a problem or being the cause of a problem, right? I've been hurt, but I know I've hurt as well. And it's something that happens with the people we're closest to. The people we're closest to are the people who have the most potential to cause difficulties in our lives. And unfortunately, that's been the case. I mean, throughout my history, throughout, I think, history of the church, that those are the things that happen. And I see that here throughout the book. It is the people who Moses is trying to deliver that cause so much problem for Moses. I forget there is one poet where she talked about the people you're trying to save are standing on the cape as you're trying to help them. Something like that. It's just beautiful. I should have looked it up. Anyway, leave it to a poet to make it beautiful. So then he goes on and he gives them some signs. And there are three signs that he gives in these verses. He gives a sign where 
Moses throws a staff down and it turns into a serpent. And then this is going to happen before Pharaoh, and we know that it does. And then their magicians cast down their staffs, they turn to serpents. And then Moses' staff eats their serpents, and it's a sign of what's going to happen. And then he gives them a sign, and he goes, well, what if that's not enough? And he puts his hand inside his cloak, and he comes out, and it's diseased. And he puts it back in again, and it's clean. And he says, what about if that doesn't work, and there's a sign of water to blood, right? Moses, in verse 10, says, Pardon your servant, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and slow to tongue. So finally, I feel like God gives him some signs. Here's some magic trick, right? Watch me pull a a staff out of my hat, and boom, it turns into a stake. And they're all symbolic of what's going to be happening, but they're actually something happening, right? These are things that I think are cool. Like, wow, that was something I don't see every day. But still, Moses says, okay, those are good, but I still am not eloquent. I'm not good at speaking. I'm slow to speech and tongue. And I think at this time, Moses is really pushing it, right? But there's something interesting happening. As Moses keeps like, up to now, I'm with you, Moses. I'm with you. But now you start to see these miracles. It's like, okay, buddy, Something's going on here. You can at least say, okay, I guess you are God. You're doing this miraculous stuff. I'll go. But he says, I can't speak. And what I think is happening is we keep seeing Moses, what will I say to them? Right? How how am I going to do this? What if they don't listen to me? Who shall I say sent? He's got this I and me. And then God keeps replying with, I will, I will. I will. I think this is a part of the faith journey that we all have. God is always seeming to think that we can do more than what we think we can do. I feel like God is always saying, I will help you to get past the place that you cannot get to. I will do these things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I can't do all things, but there seems to be this, I can do more than I think I can do. In fact, if my vision for my life is easily attainable, then it's probably less than what it actually should be. Because I always seem to settle. Well, this is easy. This is good. And God's saying, I want you to do this. It's like, I can't do that. I know. Isn't that great? You're going to need more to do that. More than you have. And there's something hidden and mysterious taking place in these things. When you come to a place where you say, I don't have enough, but you're still being asked to do it you find that there is more in you than you thought there was. And maybe that more is not just you. Maybe that more is where God starts to interject himself into your life and what he's doing. In verse 11, the Lord replies again to him. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. 
again, God is saying, there's more happening here. Your ability to speak, your ability to see, your ability to live is being given to you. Go. I will help you to do what to say. And even after this, verse 13, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, Please send someone else. I love it. And finally, I don't want to go, right? And it just comes to this beautiful end where Moses just says, not me. I don't want to do it. Verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I love this. God, God's like, okay, what about your brother I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. Now, there's a lot of things happening here. First, the mention of him being a Levite, knowing that Moses is now a Levite, knowing that the Levites are going to be the priests of this nation. It's all being laid out here. Some believe that it's actually a Levite who is writing this or transcribing this because he's kind of tipping his hand and saying, these are going to be the people who are the priests. And then another question is, How, if Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house, does he know who his brother is? And does he know that his brother is going to be okay with it? And how is all that happening? Right? Again, there's a lot of questions that I don't think we have answers to, but welcome to the Bible. Right? It's not there to answer all these questions. It's laying out the story of what the writer feels that we need to know. What I find very comforting in this and in this, is that knowing even though we have the abilities, or apparently Moses had the ability, he can't do it alone. And that the things that we are having to do and the life we're having to live, we're not meant to do it alone. The most difficult periods of my life and hardest times, I can look back and say, because of these people, I was able to move forward. When I came to a place where I felt like I I just can't do this, there was someone there to lift me up and say, you can. And as strange as it seems, or as mysterious as it is, those people who came and lifted me up and said, you can, are also the Lord lifting me up and saying, you will. And there is this connection between what God is doing and who people are that can't be separated. Right? And so John would say, no one has seen God at any time, but when we love one another, God is made known. God is seen when we care for one another. Moses is saying, I can't do this. God keeps saying, no, I, I, you can do it with me. You can do it with me. But God concedes, Aaron's coming. Don't worry. And I love that because God doesn't put his foot down and said, I'm sorry. You're going to do this. Clean your room now. God comes along and he says, here, let me get your brother. He'll help you through this. 
And again, we see Aaron doesn't do a whole lot. Aaron's not this great leader for Moses. In fact, Moses kind of represents God to Aaron and to the people. But Moses needs someone. You and I need someone. We need people to accomplish the things that are greater than we can accomplish. We need God, and he shows up oftentimes through people. Don't be blind to that, because it's a beautiful thing. It's a mysterious way in which God works. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we are confronted with words that challenge how we think and what we think. Ancient words that in some ways don't make sense, but in other ways make so much sense. And I hope that through this time we have entered into that mystery, have been challenged by this conversation written down so many years ago that led a nation that leads us still. May we acknowledge your working in these mysterious ways and be open to that work in our lives today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. May you respond to the invitation to see why the bush is on fire but doesn't burn. May you recognize that you are surrounded by bushes that are burning all the time and respond to the invitation to take off your shoes and enter holy ground and begin a conversation with the living God. God bless you guys. Again, thanks for being here. Hope to see some of you here tonight, or not here, but at my house tonight at 6 o'clock. And again, those of you, (laughs) an enthusiastic clap. Um, Can can continue this conversation here. Uh, Let you guys, they're throwing things here this morning. (laughs) Continue the conversation. (laughs) At least they're not at me. Hope to continue this conversation with you guys here today as well. God bless you guys. Love you. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.